podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. to the inaugural episode of the Darker Side of Boxing After Show. Now this is our first episode of the After Show for Season 2. It is presented by Lukey Boxing, at Lukey Boxing on Twitter, Luke Cattile. He is going to be the host of the After Show on ITR Boxing's YouTube channel. So this introduction is merely just to introduce Luke to the After Show as the presenter and as the host, so you'll be able to find the episodes on ITR Boxing's YouTube channel, of course, on our normal Darker Side of Boxing podcast feed. Guys, I hope you really enjoy us doing the after shows, and without further ado, to get us rolling on this first after show, The Crazy Train, The Life of Johnny Tapia. What is up, everybody? I hope you enjoyed this first episode of Season 2, Crazy Train, Johnny Tapia's story, which is a different type of story. You're not probably coming in here all happy after this, but I'm here with one of the co-creators. I'll let you introduce yourself and kind of give us the intro and everything that you want to say. I'm talking all over you, by the way, but I'll just throw the microphone to you. Hey, thanks, Luke, for having us on again. And uh, thanks for for making this after show exclusive to uh, to your channel as well. It's, it's great that both sets of, of viewers and listeners get to to hear the best of both worlds really and um we had a conversation a few months ago about the darker side of boxing uh at the end of season one and what it was all about and it was a full eight season out there and we said we'd do a season two and here it is season two episode one crazy train the life of johnny tapia uh i think that was i think given the the nature of what the podcast is all about i think it was an apt way to to begin um for for those of you that don't know me i'm sean basto i'm the co-creator of the dark side of boxing as long as well as johnston brown who unfortunately can't be with us today but he is the co-host uh, any long-time listeners will have heard us wittering on about different fighters and different topics over the past four or five years so um it's it's great to be talking about a, a topic that i think it's a bit like a, um, it's a bit like a, a, a sometimes a poison chalice. You know, you, you talk about these fighters and you you dare not disrespect them through uh, through the fear of being absolutely bludgeoned through social media. But you know, these are the stories that we've discussed before, where I think they need to be told and they need to be put out there and interpreted uh, in different ways, so that people can make their own, you know, presumptions and, and assumptions of of these people and these individuals in the stories and what they were all about and. It's not just about sitting here and slandering them, Luke. It's not about that. It's about presenting a story and, and, and putting context to, to how hard it was for, say, some of these individuals' lives and maybe what led to certain incidents occurring throughout their lives, whether it could be helped or not. And I think Johnny Tapia, um, as, as as it was said in the story, he unfortunately was a product of his own environment. Well, that is... I mean, let's let's just get to, like... I had heard this story before, but like, I think when you listen to something in podcast form, at least for me, and like when you're older, it hits differently. So like, I basically remembered Tapia as having this crazy childhood where he, he basically, it was trauma after trauma that led to this violent fighting style that the fans were captured by this lower weight fighter that just had this reckless aggression. For those that don't know, his father was murdered and his mother was murdered and his mother actually it from what i understand and i'll stop and we can have a conversation about this it feels like that was one of the only people in the world he connected with and like that was that was going to be his rock to have stability in life was he was very close to his mom and when his mom was murdered that was his last bit of innocence that left yeah, definitely. It's uh, for those who don't know, it was it was very horrific, and and you know I won't spoil it too much. You can either go and search it up on Google, or why not listen to the episode, of course, and and get more of the the detail of what actually happened to to his poor mother. But you know, he, he cherished her. He said that throughout many interviews over the years before he before he unfortunately passed away. But 
you know, when we when we put it into context, when we broke it down and we put all our our sources together for it, it it's quite harrowing, you know, trying to deliver this as an episode because you feel really sorry for him straight away. You think to yourself, how in the hell did he come out of of, of that one horrific incident? And there's a moment in in the incident with his mother where basically, without saying too much, she basically goes out and never returns. But during the middle of the night, Johnny wakes up and he, you know, he has this sort of sickening feeling. And this is a young child, by the way. He wakes up, he goes to the front door, looks out the window, and he can see that a pickup truck pulls up just outside the property that he was he was living in at the time. And he could see his mum in, in the car with two other men and, and his mum's at the window sort of, you know, screaming from behind the glass. And he's and he, he's going in and he's waking his grandparents up, telling him, get up, get up, my mum's outside. And they just don't believe him because, you know, they just think he's he's, he's so attached to his mum that, you know, he was just having a bit of a nightmare. He couldn't wait for his mum to come home. But unfortunately, that wasn't the case. And, you know, he actually essentially witnessed what was to go on to, to be a, a horrific murder and... And that part of his life where I think it really did set him up for what was to come. Well, I saw some parallels and this could be because I just listened to a podcast called No Skips and they were kind of talking about DMX's first album. And I saw some parallels to the rapper DMX and Johnny Tapia. And it felt like with DMX's works, they profoundly kind of said that DMX's art was kind of based around I'm suffering, but at least no one else will have to suffer the way I'm suffering. He kind of made himself a sacrificial lamb for someone that was in his position. And revisiting the Tapia story, listening to the podcast, and then just having kind of thought about DMX in that context, there's a lot of overarching themes of Tapia being this person in pain who knows he's in pain and just kind of almost... Uh, experiencing the world through that DMX way. Like obviously he didn't have as much introspection and kind of like deep thought per se, but I do get the experience that the way he fought and the way he experienced things was very much, I'm doing this because there's a deep inner hatred and no one else can feel this way. And that is basically the origin story I feel is when he lost his mom. Yeah, I think that's a good assessment. I think that'd be a good way of putting it. And I think it wasn't until he met his his wife, Teresa, that things really started to get on some sort of track for him because boxing was essentially his way out. The family were a fighting family. His granddad was, was a boxer. And, you know, it was inevitable that he would use boxing as a, as a, as a way, as many of the fighters do. And many, many of the fighters' origin stories are getting themselves off the streets and getting themselves out of trouble and... This is exactly what it was for Johnny, and he was a very, very talented boxer, very, very talented, and it was the temptations and the coping mechanisms which to use to to deal with that pain that you've talked about that was ultimately his his downfall, not so much his demise, but it, it led to his demise. You know, ultimately he he was gone too soon. He died at the age of forty five. He probably still should be with us, but he lived his life in in the fast lane, and you know he was going out. He was going on weekend binges on cocaine, not coming back for, for days, weeks, sometimes even months, as reported by his wife, Teresa. And, you know, bless Teresa, she must be, you know, one hell of a woman to have been able to, to deal with that, you know, let alone uh, be able to, to nurse somebody who's always got that, that inner pain constantly and be able to, to deal with somebody that will have had mental health issues like that for a very long time. He, I do feel for her, and I think she's kind of the the big rock of the story as well, is that for those who didn't really know a lot about Teresa Tapia, I think it's it's she deserves a hell of a lot of credit for keeping him, you know, on the straight and narrow as much as she possibly could. It was obviously very difficult for her to do that. There were a lot of in- interventions put into place that, that helped him get to the heights of his boxing career, becoming a, a two-weight world champion, but... It must have been it must have been hell for her living living in that that environment. But she she managed it, and she you know she she spoke so highly of him when he when he passed, and spoke so highly of him when he was inducted posthumously into the the boxing hall of fame. But yeah, I I agree with you. Like the parallels to DMX are quite scary. But and then I think that's it's happened to quite a few people. Quite a few famous people have gone on a very similar journey. Well, the. I was trying to think, I was trying to get really deep, which that's always an issue when I try to get deep is what is the reason people use drugs, right? And it's like, 
it typically is like something happened and then you can feel really great. And then you're buying, you're buying, it's not even like you're buying the drug, you're buying something that takes you away from an inner feeling that you hate. And then when you're on the drug, it's like, you don't have your responsibilities. You can just experience life because life as it is, is too painful. And for me, the overarching theme I saw was Johnny was someone who was longing to be loved, but had these habits in which he felt that he needed to escape. And that was where the drug abuse um, would seep in. Yeah, it's yeah, again, you know, you, you've interpreted that exactly, I think, how it was for, for, for Johnny Tapia in his life. I think it was a coping mechanism, you know. Like you say, people have different reasons for, for taking narcotic drugs, whether it be for pleasure, whether it be for coping, uh, whether it be for other reasons. But predominantly for Johnny, it was a case of taking them to cope with the issues that he was always dealing with, the, the feelings that he always had in the back of his mind. You know, he never he never got to meet his father. And there's obviously a part of the story that I'm sure we'll probably touch on in the episode. But he never got to meet his biological father. His mother gets murdered. He absolutely adored his mother. Then he had to go straight into the household with his grandparents. And his granddad was a strict disciplinarian. So he'd gone from, you know, a really different style of parenting. So that was that was obviously a different... That made him a harder person. Then he gets into his boxing. Then he gets into his career. Then he starts to get success. And with success comes the temptation. And the temptation for him was was the cocaine. And, he, you know, people talk about his uh, his marriage. And, and they talk about Johnny Tapia had three loves and a mistress. And his mistress was, was unfortunately cocaine. Yeah, I mean, you touched on something that I just I just thought of when you were talking and it's that you're you got this young person who's dealing with all this trauma his he doesn't have that much life experience right so what he's seeing is the world around him this is all the world is everything every part of the world is exactly what he's living because he's so young and he goes from a household where he had unconditional love for his mother and then he goes into basically a very strict household where maybe he doesn't even feel loved because there's so many rules set up. And I think that's another common story is like when people are so strict, the minute someone can get out of that household. And I was, I was reminded of an interview I did, I think like in 2014 with Kendall Holt, where he said the only reason he turned pro as a boxer was to get out of his dad's house, you know, and that always stuck with me because it's like, you have this world champion boxer, but he made it sound like, well, I might not have even done this if, if it wasn't, I needed a way to leave the house. And that kind of told me some backstory. And it feels like whatever happened in his adolescence, he found truly miserable. Yeah, it's, there's a story in there that which he encountered as a young boy as well, uh, where he went on a, a basically a day trip and there was a, there was a huge accident and, he, he was sat next to a, a, what he described as a really lovely woman who was pregnant and the accident, uh, long story short, essentially killed quite a few people on, on the bus, on the coach. And as a result of that, he watched this, this nice lady who he'd, who he'd travelled with, who he'd spoken to, who he'd, who he'd talked, to, talked to the ears off. He watched this lady die in front of him and, and this lady's baby, unborn baby. So straight away there's trauma from, from there and then there's obviously all the trauma which we've discussed and... It makes you wonder how how he got to the the echelons that he did really of of his boxing career because when you look back on his boxing career, taking away the tragedy aside, he was uh, on he was on his day he was an absolutely brilliant brilliant fighter uh, one one of the best out there, and I think it always begs the question to me to to many other people that are uh, boxing historians the the people on social media the Twitter the Facebooks they always talk about Johnny Tapia how good he was but. How good could he have been? You know, how good could he have been if he wasn't involved in narcotics? If he wasn't going on all these binges between fights and 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 you know, practically being declared dead? What I think it was three, four times before he ultimately passed away. You know, this guy was a guy that managed to live a life. I think in in he lived he lived forty five years, and I think there was a quote in the episode which we spoke about, which mentioned. He lived 500 years in all of 45 years, and I think that's a perfect way to describe Johnny Tapia's life. 
Well, like I'd like to push back on a little bit of that where I'd like to say, I think if Johnny Tapia lived a straight and narrow life, he wouldn't have been Johnny Tapia. I think that his fighting style came from a severe self-hatred. The drug abuse was part of the self-hatred. He was able to take himself to places other fighters couldn't go. And I think that if he had more stability, he might not have been the fighter that became this iconic legend i think it came from a deeply um neurotic angry place where he could literally care not care what happened to him once he got into the ring yeah i think that's probably another argument i suppose to have about it is like i say how good could he have been could he have got to them heights? Could he have been a two-weight world champion if he didn't live that life? If he lived a straight and narrow life, would he have been a world champion? I suppose the part, a part of me feels like he would have done either way. I think he, he had the talent there and it was evident that he had the talent there um, regardless of, of the positions that he were in in life. But I think definitely you're right in what you're saying when you say you know, he had a lot of things that he could put up in his in his mental bank and say right this is my motivation this is the way I'm going to get myself to where I want to be and I think anybody in life always has their own agendas and motivations and Johnny Tapias came from all this pain all this inner pain and you know who knows what places he, he got to mentally I mean we're, we're never going to know we can only go off what Johnny said himself when he was alive of how deep and how dark it was for him but it, it it's it's a guy again that I don't think People watched him, people watched him, a very exciting fighter, but I don't think that he also, in this day and age, in this generation, 2021, people do forget about him. Unless you've lived through his career, unless you're an avid boxing fan, and you go back and you look at all these older fighters, this generation of boxing fans don't really respect and appreciate guys like Johnny Tapia uh, for what he was. I think that's just always going to be the case in general. And especially with the lower weight classes, people are just going to forget. They're going to think the most modern fighter is always the best fighter. It's a, what have you done lately? You know, and that's the nature. What I, what I paralleled a lot of Tapia's experience was a story I was told about 15, 20 years ago about this guy in Oakland. One of my friends had an issue with him and he was someone that was very feared and it was like they ran into each other in a recording studio and he didn't know how it, hap- it would happen, like what would happen, because this is a, there's a lot of things spoken about this individual. But the tension was so high, it actually calmed down the person that had that issue and that diffused the situation, meaning that when everyone was on edge, fearful of what would happen, that was the place that that individual lived at. And he was actually able to do a handshake and like it calmed him. A part of me when I was listening to this reflected on that story, because I feel like Tapia, the chaos, the craziness was his calming. He had to live in a tornado or else he didn't know what he would do. Yeah, again, I think most people will agree with the assessment of that. I think uh, I can't I can't push back and argue that you're wrong because we, we're never going to know how it would have gone if you would have lived a, a pain-free and straight and narrow life. That's um, a huge, huge what if. But I think he he was he what he did in his career, what he did in his life, I think is reflective of all the years that he was on this planet. And he, again, I hark back to that quote about how how many lives he seemed to have lived in such a short space of time and and everything that he was able to do as a result of the inner pain that he suffered as a youngster growing up and the changes in his life was able to take him to that place, was able to put him on the map. And the one thing you mentioned a bit earlier was about the lower weight classes and and, and that generation when he was fighting in the 90s uh, to the early 2000s. You know, there was only a few fighters at that time that would really stand out. You know, the Morales is the Barreras of the world. You know, the even the Prince Nazim Hamads here in the UK, you know, these were the types of fighters in the lower weight classes that were standing out. But Johnny Tapia was the other one. I mean, we mentioned in the episode that there were talks for him to fight Prince Nazim Hamad. Johnny Tapia and Nazim Hamad. And you know, for everybody that knows who Hamad is and what he was all about, just imagine what sort of a of a build up that would have been, what sort of fight that would have been for, for these two to have got it on, you know. Both of them were very charismatic fighters, very charismatic individuals. And I think Johnny would have took himself to a place which would have given us some of the uh, most entertaining 
moments uh, in, in boxing history. It's just a shame fights like that never really came off. And, you know, he managed to fight Barrera at the back end of his career. Um, never got the chance to fight Morales. Never got the chance to fight Juan Manuel Marquez. And even, obviously, Manny Pacquiao. You know, he was uh, early on in his career at that time starting to win world titles in the lower weight categories. It just gives me a lot of food for thought about Johnny Tapia in terms of his boxing career, about where things could have gone. Uh, and how how things could have gone, you know, should a lot of these issues that he dealt with outside of the ring uh, knocked him back. Because there was a period of time where obviously he was out of the ring, um, where maybe a couple of his best years uh, were spent dealing with the issues that he was suffering. So without spoiling the episode for those that are somehow listening to this episode before the regular episode, which I recommend you should probably stop this episode and go listen to the episode so you don't get any spoilers break down his history of cocaine abuse and kind of how you see it gradually getting worse. Was it always bad? Was it always the same? How did you view it when going through this story? I think what we've touched on throughout the episode is all about the tragedies of his life and the the need to be loved, the need to be revered by the people around him. And when the temptation came, when when the temptations came, as in being a professional boxer, it was like it was his way of of coping with all them demons that he was struggling with mentally. Because we're going back to a period of time where there was always a huge stigma around men's mental health, and you weren't allowed as a man to tell people or talk to people about your mental health because you was deemed to be less of a man than any other person around you. So for someone like Johnny Tapia, not having that level of support at the time, well, obviously it would have been difficult. So how would he have dealt with that? If he wasn't able to speak to people about his mental health, what what were the ways that people managed to cope with it? Well, people would go out and drink alcohol. They'd go to clubs, they'd party, they'd sleep with multiple women. They'd, they'd have all sorts of, of these fornications outside of the ring. But then... Obviously, when they get in the ring, you just you, you you didn't think that they were doing all this outside because, you know, we weren't privy to to all this stuff going on because we didn't have social media, so we didn't see all these things. We didn't get to see all these videos like we see now of of fighters in the after parties in the clubs singing on the microphones or looking like they've had a, a few too many drinks or maybe they've um, they've taken a few narcotics that maybe they shouldn't be doing. We don't. We, we didn't get to see all that then. For us, it was all about what we was presented with at the time. So for us, it was Johnny Tapia, the fighter. As as he started to get involved in issues outside of the ring, uh, in particular, there was a there was obviously an arrest. Um, can't remember what year it was, but there was an arrest that he was involved in as a result of his cousin uh, in a murder trial, and he was arrested. There's a famous video which I think we merged into one of our clips about him being arrested and he didn't know what it was for but you know he did he was being involved in things that probably didn't concern him but this was all part and parcel of his of his of his drug abuse you know he was taking these drugs to to cope they were his coping mechanisms they were his ways of escaping from the harsh realities of what had gone on in his life and because he didn't have the level of support around him in terms of being able to go and speak to a doctor about this or being able to go and speak to a psychologist about this the same way we can now that, that was his way of going through it. So progressively, over the course of the years, throughout the mid-90s to the late-90s, the substance abuse, abuse got worse. And it was his wife, Teresa, literally would have to lock him in the house and bring people to the house to take him out to training so that he would go and train. And that's what they'd do when he was going into camps. They'd literally have to intervene and put him into that position where he had no other choice but to go to camp or go and do the road work or, or be around the people that he needed to be around. And that, that was that was how it was for him at, at most of the time. And that's the what worked for them as well. They, you know, Teresa found a way of, of getting him into the ring and getting him to a position where he was able to go in the ring and be successful. But there were times when she were able to control that substance abuse and then she'd have to wait until he'd come back. She couldn't go and find him. She, she didn't know where he would be. She would literally wait until he walked back through the door and then it was like the same vicious cycle starts all over again for him. Uh, and, and that's, as time went on, it continued. That substance abuse got worse. As If you look through Johnny Tapia's career and you can see the progression of him as an individual, uh, you can see the progression of his body, the way he looks. When you get towards the end of his life, you can see 
that what sort of toll that substance abuse had on his body and it was quite evident before he died at the age of 45 and he was doing the documentary that they did on him you know it was like you could see how many years the abuse had put on him yeah i mean it's uh, when i look at those type of stories and i was kind of looking at this through it at first it's cute right okay he's the funny guy that's high and then it starts to get okay he's getting a little too high too often then it becomes a pattern and then after a while of just being a, a screw up with drugs i feel like people just accept that's who they are because they get tired of doing interventions and i think that looking at this story I was drawn to a story in skateboarding. There's a skateboarder named Guy Mariano, and he he was like this legendary skateboarder, and then he had this big drug addiction period, and then he had this comeback, and it was such a beloved, heartfelt moment because everyone wanted to see Guy come back. And I think the hard part about this story for me with Tapia is we never got that final act to make this story what I think all of us wanted. We never got where Johnny could have maybe a few years sober. He's an older guy, but he gets the redemption and he's treated the way that we always wanted to treat him. And people can say, man, it's good to see him doing well. We never quite got that. That's some. That's sometimes the sad thing about society, though, I think, in life, is that sometimes we don't always appreciate people until they're here, whether it's in our own personal lives or whether it's in general society with, with the people that are in the limelight. You don't always appreciate them until they're gone. And whilst there was a lot of people that did appreciate Johnny Tapia, and it was evident at his funeral, there were thousands that attended and thousands more that weren't able to attend that were turned away. It was evident how much he meant to a lot of people. So whilst we're talking about substance abuse, the pain of a of a, a traumatic childhood, that doesn't always that doesn't always reflect how good of a fighter he was, but also how revered he ended up being by the people, by the public. People, the public loved him. We all loved him, and we put this episode out on social media and all the comments that are on social media are all about how great of a fighter he is and you know how great of a of a guy he seemed to be and how loved he was by people and that and that's fortunately what people do remember him by that that's good that people do have that perception of him we we when we covered this story it was one where when we was doing the episode even mid record i'm sitting there and thinking so we're going through all the dark stuff that's gone on in his life but we're coming out of this episode and I'm thinking, you know, we're actually putting him in a really good light here. Yeah, okay, we've talked about these incidents in particular in, in the episode, but by the end of it myself, it made me realise once more again, like, you know, this guy was just a a brilliant a brilliant individual that had so many demons that he'd had to deal with and try to control and he tried to control them in his own way. And it's, I look at it now in hindsight and I think, you know, this this guy wasn't appreciated as much at the time by the wider public. And I think now people are starting to really understand with the release of uh, Paul Zanon's book, The Ghost of Tapia, and then obviously the documentary a few years ago from, from HBO. And then you've got obviously episodes like this that are going out there. The more people start to bring this side of him to light, the more people start to talk about his story. And it's like you said, he didn't really get that redemption, but in some ways what we do and, and the way other people put these things to light, I think whilst he's not here to, to, to understand that redemption, he is kind of getting it because he's getting, for us, he's, he's getting the revealment he always wanted. He wanted people to love him and respect him and accept him for who he was. And I think everybody's done that now. I don't, I don't To be honest with you, I don't really see anybody say a bad word about Johnny Tapia, regardless of the situations he got himself into. I think two comments you make me think of, one, he was like the living embodiment of a cartoon character. So I think everyone could relate to him because it was like he was almost like a silent film actor. Even if he didn't talk, you just saw what he was living through what he looked. And I guess my A to B comparison, like my perfect comparison, would be the the folk country singer Towns Van Zant, who uh, was just kind of like a beloved, a little under the radar musician who he never could quite kick his demons. And it was like, he's this talented guy who is a legend, but he never got the redemption story either. And I mean, I guess I was kind of trying to be cheery, but guys like DMX and Town Van Zant, they don't really get that final act. And maybe that's where Tapia fits in is 
the the troubled person who never can kick the trouble. Yeah, I think it's, it's sad that we have to put him into that category, isn't it? It is. It's really sad. But then, in in some respects, I just think we've like when we did this episode, we, the reason we wanted it to be our opening episode for the se- for season two was because Johnny Tapia's a well a well liked fighter. He's a he's a well liked fighter. He's a well liked character in the sport of boxing and boxing always needs characters in it every generation needs a character it needs one or two individuals to to really keep boxing alive and, and keep people enjoying what the sport's all about because me and you both cover the sport in in different ways and we both know the politics and and the stuff that can really turn you off wanting to be a fan of the sport and, and sometimes there's too much of it but people like johnny tapio these types of characters is what keeps this sport alive what keeps the history of the sport alive because he's in that short space of time he was a professional fighter he was able to he was able to win titles in two different weights he was able to get through so much adversity in in his personal life and to be to be declared dead on on four separate occasions and and come back from that and somehow still manage to to live that life until he's until his untimely demise was unbelievable for me it was he lived that unbelievable life and that's why we called it crazy train because it was you know he was on he was on this train that was just rocketing and, and just going straight down this tunnel all the way and there was always one way it was going to end and I think people at the time could see it was always going to end one way but you just didn't quite believe it until it happened and many people were the same Teresa herself we know when when she found that he'd passed it was like no you know Johnny always comes back from this not not Johnny he always comes back from this but you know he'd, uh, I think he'd, you know, and they say a cat's got nine lives. Johnny Tapia was 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 the embodiment of a cat at times as well because he seemed to live so many times through so many things that would normally take the life of uh, another individual. And there's one particular story that I'm thinking about now where he actually he actually overdosed uh, to get himself out of having to take a test because he already knew that he would fail that test. So he got himself in that much of a state, put himself in the hospital, because he knew he was going to end up failing that test. And as a result of that, the fight that he was supposed to be involved in was then delayed, rescheduled, and eventually happened. But that might have not happened should he have failed that test. It was like absolutely crazy things that he was doing at that stage of his his life and his career. But... I'm smiling, and and I know like we we hate drugs cheats in boxing, but Johnny, you know, he wasn't a performance enhancing drugs cheater. He was the man that couldn't stay away from the narcotic side of of drugs. And when he was in between them fights, he was taking the drugs. He was he was going on the binges, like I've said a couple of times. But he somehow managed to get in the ring, and he somehow managed to hang it in there and win world championships. And I he still. It still bemuses me, to be honest with you, today that he managed to achieve what he achieved in the sport. So one of the big takeaways from this episode was the Danny Romero fight and also Tapia, like being involved in gangs, which I didn't really fully know. And I didn't understand how big of an undertone that was to that fight, actually. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, Going back to going back to that story, we did. I don't remember it at the time. I'll be totally honest. It took obviously the re- us doing the research for the episode to be to go back and really understand that because at the time all this was happening, I was probably only about twelve or thirteen, so I didn't really see boxing and and what goes on behind the scenes uh, as much back then. And and again, I, I go back to the lack of internet and the lack of social media that we had at that period to be able to understand what was really going on in, in Johnny Tapia's life. But the Danny Romero fight. Oh my god! Like the the fight itself was was a brilliant fight, but the like you say the 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 current undertone there that was going on is like it's literally two gangs, you know, scattered around the arena, and they're having to have police in there, and they're having to have police armed constantly in there to make sure that nothing went off because if it went off, it would have gone off big time, and there would have probably been a massacre. Fortunately, you know that didn't happen, but. That just goes to show you how how serious it was. You know, these two guys were both affiliated with with respective gangs, and it, I mean, it's it's happened. It's happened through boxing before, like not so much the gangs, but when you think of um, talk about Larry Holmes, Jerry Cooney, you know that the way that fight was promoted, there was a massive racial divide, and it was that bad in in that particular instance that they had to have snipers 
placed in strategic positions uh, at Caesar's Palace because there were a lot of threats made to each individual fighter that they were going to get shot as they came to the ring. So these type of events don't happen happen very often. Johnny Tapia, <laughs> he was involved in, in one of them. Yeah, and I think that the big takeaway too for me on that one was there was bad blood that lingered from them knowing each other. So it wasn't just like, like with a lot of these fights where there's those situation, there's an element like racial or political. This was, we know each other and there could be an issue because it's almost like there's a, there's an understanding of who the other person is. And that's what made the tension even higher. Danny Romero didn't respect Johnny Tapia. It's as simple as that. He didn't have any respect for him. So he was he was bad mouthing him, uh, you know. He, bef- even before the fight was signed, he was bad mouthing him in the aftermath of his previous fights and talking uh, in a bad way about Johnny Tapia. And Johnny Tapia just naturally got on the defense and responded to that, and that's what caused all the the tension prior to the fight. And and it escalated the situation more than it needed to be. I mean, imagine being a, a fan at a fight when you've got two different sets of gangs just sort of surrounding you, knowing that at any point this could go off. It's it's quite scary that that's how much it transcended. But the the fight itself was uh, one of one of Tapia's greatest performances. You know, Tapia that night was was at his was at his brilliant best. And I think that's ultimately when you think of his boxing career, you think of that fight. You think of the Danny Romero fight. That was his for me that was the pinnacle of his career. I definitely there were there are elements to me. I won't say it's the drugs, but they're like the self destruction Reminds me a little bit of Conor McGregor, the way Tapia like kind of just would disappear for years. Now I'm coming back. Now it's like Khabib, he, Conor fights Khabib. And now there's like a lot of people who all seem hotheaded, who are very angry because they had gotten into this. It's it always gets a little frightening when their boxing goes beyond boxing and people around the fighter want to fight because it's like, what are what are we doing? Because that's. I get that it's entertaining, but it's also endangering a lot of innocent people. It's it's when it when it gets to that point when a sport, whether it be boxing, whether it be MMA, uh, whatever whatever it may be, when it gets to that point where it it goes past the sport and it becomes more personalised, it's it's not a good look. It's not a good look for the sport. I mean, you mentioned Conor McGregor. I mean, how many times has this guy gone off? At press conferences, how many times is you know he's hitting old men in a bar and, and doing all sorts of shameful things, that, and still people out there, you know, they continue to wear them rose tinted spectacles, and they still love him and they still want to see him because he's creating controversy, and I think the controversy is what creates a lot of the hype, and I keep talking about generations. If social media wasn't around now, would Conor McGregor be as big as he is? You know, people like that, would they be as big as they are? Because with all these little incidents, all these little things that he does, would they get the same level of hype on social media? Do you know what I mean? Would they, would they get the same? I, I, Let me flip it you know, on you. Would Johnny Tapia be a bigger star if social media existed, because imagine all the random places people would have videotaped Johnny Tapia. Like, oh my God, look, the world champion's here. I mean, like, I feel like a fighter like Tapia was a modern fighter for better or worse before the modern era. Like he was meant for social media. He was meant for people that sit on their phones for 10 hours while they're at work looking for weird things that are controversial. That's what he was meant for, but he came before that era. Yeah, I I can't even imagine the videos that would have been out there. I really can't. I mean, Johnny Tapia going on weekends, weeks, months, binges. Surely at some point someone would have caught him somewhere doing something and that would have just heightened the hype surrounding him. But would it have been a hindrance as well? Would Would he have been suspended a lot more often? Would he have been even able to get in the ring as a result of all these issues that were going on? You know, the rules were, were slightly different in the different but commission. But when, when does that ever hurt a fighter, sadly? Like, when does a fighter doing drugs and acting stupid, can you, like, I can't ever think of a time where we're like, okay, this is ridiculous. We're not going to watch him. I feel like every time 
people use bad judgment and do drugs, sadly, it's rewarded or it becomes iconic. Yeah, unfortunately, we do we do live in this this particular era at the moment where you know rather than be punished for it because of what's involved with the different entities around, say a particular fighter, there's just too much for the people around him to lose. There's too many sharks around a lot of these fighters that are going to benefit off the back of them being the spectacle, and it's these guys that will go head and shoulders above the rest to make sure that their their meal ticket isn't affected as a result of it. And I, and I think that's the unfortunate part of the, the sport that we're in now. For someone like John Eyre, I think, would he have been a huge social media star? Absolutely. Absolutely. People, I think Johnny, Johnny Tapia would have loved, right, he would have loved to have been in this era in social media. I think he would have loved because he would have got so much respect from people. Yeah, there would have been the detractors, of course. There would have been the people that I wouldn't have liked what he was doing outside of the ring, and, and they would have had their own opinions about that. But I think for the most part, people would have absolutely loved it. He would have been viral all the time. He would have probably broke the internet on a few occasions because of some of the incidents that he was involved in and the way he was and you know just his general fighting style. I mean, you can imagine him... Being being filmed like having a having a barroom brawl and it being put all over social media and then two weeks later he's in the ring defending a world championship or fighting for a world championship. That's exactly how I can sort of envisage him living in this in this age and it's it is it is a mad mad state of affairs at the moment with with the way things are with the sport and with social media and Johnny Tapia would have fit right in nicely into into that stereotype. Well, we all love a train wreck as long as it's not too sad or scary. And I think Tapia, what made him him was there was a level of innocence. And I think that what he was, what we're kind of getting at and what I'm hearing is he never quite got his respect. He was like the Rodney Dangerfield of boxing and maybe social media and getting a huge following. That would have been something where he would have been like, well, look, I have these group of people who care. And I do feel like that's something that I do feel like I wish he could have been a part of because I feel like he social media is often really cued to your negative reactions to get interaction. But I think for someone like Johnny Tapia, it actually might've been positive to see other people care a lot about you besides the people you directly interact with. I think a couple of sad things really with Johnny passing away when he did, I think was that he was obviously posthumously inducted into the, I think it was the international boxing hall of fame by his wife, Teresa he never lived to see that moment. And I think that, that moment, if he would have lived to have seen that moment, I think that would have probably been one of the most definitive moments of his entire life, coming from where he came from and, and the story that we've told in the episode. I think that if he would have been there to accept that award, I think that would have probably been the, the, the cherry on the cake for him because, you know, he's gone for everything. You know, he wants people to accept him for who he is and for him then to be inducted into the Hall of Fame... You know, that, that's voted on by many boxing historians, by peers of the sport, to get that level of respect from the people within the sport, which he did have, not saying he didn't have, but to get that level of respect now at this point in time, in this generation, I think would have been even more of a cherry on the cake for him in his life. I think it would have been one of them definitive moments. He had many of them, positive or negative, he had many of them, but I think that moment would have really um, would have really done it. And, and look at all the fighters now, like... From, from the 70s, the 80s, the, the 90s, that are getting inducted into the different Hall of Fames now, because there are a few now. We've got, obviously, the Nevada, you've got the International Boxing Hall of Fame, WBC have got their own version. You know, if you think about that now, he probably would have been inducted into all of them. But it's just been a, a hell of a guess, too. Would have yeah, been exactly. like, he would have been, a, he would have been the life of the party, he probably would have given a wild speech. It's like, yeah, it's just sad. I, th I think we're just thankful, Luke. I think we're thankful that he was able to do a book before he died. We're thankful that, you know, Teresa is very, very much open to speaking about Johnny. And, and obviously she did the book with uh, the UK writer Paul Zanon, The Ghost of Tapia. You know, we're fortunate that, you know, we were able to get this in the aftermath of him passing away. And there's so much more to his story that that's why we wanted to do Johnny Tapia, not just because we think, oh, Johnny Tapia... He was a drug abuser. To us, when we, we spoke about putting this together, it was like, what do we want to achieve out of an episode about Johnny? It's like, well, we want to put him in the light of 
how much he's overcame and just goes to show you like no matter what you go through in life and he went for a hell of a lot that you can get to the pinnacle of where you want to be in life whether it is boxing whether it is something else and he was he was a good product of that he might not have been a good product of other things but he just goes to show you that you know with a lot of will and determination that you can get there and johnny tappy was a good advert in, in that respect for that that he was able to do it i just think I still feel sadness for him. I still feel sadness that there was a lot of things that have come since his passing that, you know, he, I think he, judging by what has been spoken about him, by Teresa, by himself in, in the various interviews and documentaries, I just think that would have been, that would have made his life. And that might have even made him, you know, become something different and, and move on in his life to a different stage. And it just makes me, again, I always think about, like, where would he be now like, if he was still here? Like, would he be training fighters? Would he have his own boxing gym? Would he be doing a lot of after-dinner speaking? Imagine going to an after-dinner speak with, with Johnny Tapia. That's just, it just, it's sad. It, it makes me sad to think about it, but I just feel like we, we had to do this as our opening episode. We had to put it out there. Many people respect Johnny Tapia. They want to hear his story. And, and, and I hope people leave the episode feeling like we felt when we did it, which was like Johnny Tapia, you know, he overcame so much adversity, putting his issues aside with this cocaine abuse. He just seemed like a, a wonderful guy to be around and, and a brilliant boxer that deserved so much more. I agree. Now, I want to ask you a rhetorical question, which is, is this a sad story or is this an incredible situation of someone rising, rising above their circumstances? What's the capstone to take away from Tapia's story? I think, I think the latter. Well, there's, there's elements of a lot of sadness with incidents in his life. I think what I take away from it, given, you know, we did the research and we recorded it, I take away, he overcame a lot of adversity and he, he was able to put together a life and a boxing career that I think will, will it, it will stand the test of time. I do think it will. I think even in 20, 30, 40 years from now, his character, what he did in that short space of time he was in boxing and on the planet, I think will still be remembered. And I think the more gets spoken about the more literature gets done about in the more films documentaries that are done i think we'll keep it alive i think that'll keep his his spirit alive of of of, of what he's all about and, and who he was and i think again he's, he's a good advert for people overcoming adversity and that you can get to somewhere if you do try uh, and if you do push yourself to that to that extra limit um so yeah elements of sadness but me i take i take away uh, an incredible individual that was all able to overcome so much to be able to achieve so much. If you were to recommend one fight of Tapia's for someone listening to go back and watch, what would be the fight that you would recommend? The most obvious choice would be Danny Romero, but I'm going to flip it back now to, to yourself and to the people that are listening and watching. I think the first fight with Paul Ayala, I think, would be an interesting one because I'd be interested to to know what people's thoughts are on the outcome of that fight, whether they felt like Johnny should have won it, whether they felt it was the right decision. This is something that always brings debates up in boxing. We know this. We see it every week, all the time. Poor scorecards, bad judging. How did that fight go down? Did you see it as a tapier win? Should he have won that fight or should he have not? So if you're looking for pure excitement and an all-around war, you go to Danny Romero, Tapia versus Romero. If you want to, a bit of controversy to see Johnny Tapia uh, in, in, in a really good fight and you want to see you know, how you would score this particular fight or how you would judge this particular fight yourself, go and see Paul, Paul, the first Paul Ayala fight because I think that it, it begs a lot of questions as to, again, the, the nature of the sport at the time and, and Johnny Tapia, but... Yeah, what about what about you then, Luke? Obviously, you've had the opportunity to digest what we've uh, what we've done for the episode and and what what Johnny's career was all about. Are there any particular sort of moments inside and outside of the ring that you've um, that you've heard, that you've watched, that you've listened to that have have stuck with you? Well, you kind of killed my thunder because I was going to say that Polly Iola, the the first two fights, like those those two fights, that's what I'm going to always remember Tapia for is the fights with Pauli Ayala. I mean, to put it in historical context, the win was so big for Pauli Ayala at the time. He won the Ring Magazine Fighter of the Year basically because he beat Tapia. That's how big of a moment it was. As you said, it's a perception fight. Honestly, it's probably a draw if all things are equal. It just comes down to what do you favor. 
But I think that both of those fights, even the second fight, I think I all clearly won the second fight. They're really good fights. And I think that there was always a common belief amongst some fans that Tappy is this really aggressive guy. Sure, he has talent, but it's always kind of what you hear about a guy like Edwin Valero or very physical, aggressive kind of wild men. Eventually, they're going to run into the guy that that's going to beat him that's more talented. And Iola fight shows that there was a lot to Johnny Tapia more than just physicality. Yeah, no, I'd agree. I think the reason why I, I only mentioned the first fight was because I know for the second fight, throughout the course of the story, um, again, spoiler alert for anybody that's um, that's not listened to it yet. If you've listened, if you listen to it, then you'll know exactly what we're talking about. If you if you followed the story up until the second part of the Ayala fight, he wasn't at his best. He was really struggling outside of the ring. There were a lot of issues going on outside of the ring, which I think not making an excuse for him, but I think will have definitely hampered his preparations for that second fight. And I think Paulie deservedly won it convincingly and left nothing to doubt in that second fight. Um, but this is where, at this point, Tapia's, you know, he's, he's starting to sort of decline as a fighter. And I think the substance abuse outside of the ring does start to, to take its toll on him as time goes on. I mean, he even fought over here in the UK. You know, I knew, he, I knew he'd fought here in the UK. But then when I started to dig a bit more deeper into it from, from the period of time it was at... There was a lot of people that, that are in boxing now within the UK media side that, you know, if they would have been able to go to see one fighter in the UK, they weren't talking about the guys that are around now. Some of them won't even talk about, like, Ricky Hatton. People say, oh, go to a Ricky Hatton fight in a stadium. People wanted to see Johnny Tapia at the York Hall. And the York Hall is a very small, it's a very small, intimate environment. It's a very small, intimate venue. I mean, I think the capacity is oh, a couple of thousand at best, if that. It's a really intimate venue, but it's like the the home. We call it the home of British boxing because so much has gone on there historically over the years. Johnny Tapia actually fought there, and it's 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 crazy to say that because like you know you never get to see the you never get the opportunity to see many many great fighters come over to these shows anyway in particular. Uh, as good as that. I mean, we're lucky to have obviously had some great fighters over the years, but we never get to see some of the great fighters from over your neck of the woods come over here and, and, and show us how good they really are, they really are and, and give the fight fans over here the opportunity to see them. Most recently, we've had uh, Vasily Lomachenko. He's the most recent fighter that I've come over to here and he beat Luke Campbell. But other than that, you know, it's it's very sparse. So to see someone like Johnny Tapia and, and maybe Mike Tyson back in 2000 as well, you know, the hype train for us is unbelievable. So, you know, there there's other little sort of caveats to to that for me with uh, with Johnny Tapia but yeah the, going back to what you were saying the Paulette Ayala fights I would also recommend uh, first and second uh, and Danny Romero I think they define his career they define who he was in the ring as a, as a, as a boxer that aggressive style that rugged style the exciting style that he had um, and it, it was a pleasure going back through his career I lived through it uh, I managed to remember, recall a lot of good memories of his fights and a lot of uh, positive aspects of his boxing career. But going back through it as an older person now, as someone with a lot more uh, tune into to the boxing world, I think it was uh, it was wonderful to go back and look at it all. Yeah, I mean, it's just for me, a guy like Tapia. The way I remember it is not just did I enjoy him. But he's the guy when his documentary came out, I believe it was Showtime, maybe it was HP. I want to say it was Showtime. I had never had so many people talk to me about this story. So when they had access to this story, it's like, hey, have you heard of Johnny Tapia? His story's so crazy and he fought super good. When can I see him fight? And I go, well, he fought like 13 years ago. It's over. And he goes, but people, I feel like he's someone people are drawn to. Once you know who he is, how he fights. And there's not really that many of those guys. I don't want to compare him to a Mike Tyson, but he's not that far removed from someone who's as fascinating as a Mike Tyson, mm-hmm. where it's like part of Johnny Tapia for me was just seeing Tapia in places, let alone in the ring. He's just got that charismatic persona. And that personality, didn't he? That's as simple as that. I said boxing needs characters. He was a character. There's not many of them about, is there? I mean, people 
they absolutely fawn over Tyson Fury at the moment because of his character, because of adversity. Yet again, the adversity he overcame to come back to what he's done now and to where he's at and what he might go on to do. You know, he's at a very good position in his career where he can leave this absolute lasting legacy behind. Johnny Tapia has left his own and he's made his own mark on the sport, not just becoming a champion in two ways, but for his style, his all-action in-ring style, the fights he were involved in, the generation he was in, the, the incidents outside of the ring, for better or worse. People remember him for for many reasons. But it's it's great that, like you said, people speak to you about Johnny Tapia. Like, Who's Johnny Tapia? Oh, where can I see Johnny Tapia? And you say, right, go to YouTube and, and look at these fights. And you're like, they come back to you and you're like, I told you. You know, these, these are the type of characters that boxing needs more of. And I think he's a one-of-a-kind individual. One-of-a-kind individual, one-of-a-kind a uh, special breed of a fighter like you compared not so much compared but you mentioned Mike Tyson you know he was once in a generation fighter Muhammad Ali once in a generation fighter Tyson Fury in this generation he's a once in a generation fighter and I think Tapia was exactly that and to go even deeper he kind of reminds me of someone who's polar opposite I guess is Joe Calzaghe where it feels like everyone in his community knew him for better or for worse like Calzaghe part of on top of being an incredible fighter it feels like he still, for the best of my knowledge, lives in the same town he's always lived. And it felt like there was a sense of pride that everyone kind of in that community, he was one step removed from someone they knew. So it's like when this guy's going, it's their champion. It felt like everyone in Albuquerque knew Johnny Tapia. Everyone, And then as he started to spread across the U.S., every city he went, there were traces of, hey, do you know who Johnny Tapia is? Because he wasn't for lack of a better word, he wasn't a rock star. He was the people's person. He was in the community. And I think that that's also a part of his story for better or for worse is he was so accessible. Like imagine if there were podcasts, I feel like Johnny would do both of our podcasts. He'd do your podcast, do my podcast, and he'd just live his life. He'd be like going, oh, I'm going to be on my phone and I'm going to do it. And there's something about those type of fighters that last a little bit longer for me. Yeah, I think it's accessibility, isn't it? And making yourself accessible to to your fans and, and being like you say, being the person you always were from the street. Staying that way, keeping that keeping that humility about you, I think is, is very important. I think he did that all the way up until till the end. He kept his humility. And I mentioned about his funeral, you know, about the fact that I think it was something like 6,800 uh, attended his funeral and then there were thousands that had travelled down that couldn't actually go to the to the memorial you know and that that's testament to who he was as an individual that the people around the area uh and and, and the city's not too far away were were willing to come down just to get a glimpse of his of his casket of his coffin to be a part of that moment in time because that's that's essentially what it was for for obviously everybody in new mexico and albuquerque was it was a moment in time it was a passing of of one of their favorite sons essentially and and each you know he's put he put Albuquerque on the map at that moment in time, and and things have obviously gone on to put Albuquerque on the map since uh, a particular TV show uh, in, uh, that I was referring to. Um, but you know, in terms of the boxing aspects of it, you know, he did well to do that, and that's why people wanted to come and see, and that's why people wanted to be a part of his life or be a part of you know that Johnny Tapia experience for better or worse. And and I suppose that's what's that's what's lasting out of this all really is that we've done our episode and you'll either take away a lot of sadness from it or you'll 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 bank the sadness and you'll think right okay he's had a lot of sadness in his life but look what he did look at the impact and i think that's what's most important look at the impact he made in the sport inside and outside of the ring he's left a legacy well this has been a great talk how do you want me to end this i'm lukey where can people follow you well people can follow us on Twitter at darker underscore side underscore pod uh, or the BTR Boxing Podcast Network. You can find us on every social media channel out there. Um, episode two, Luke, are you ready for episode two? I'm, I'm down. Gonna... I enjoyed this. This was like very therapeutic. I mean, I don't know if I, I always comprehend things the best, but I go about it in my own way. I think deeply, you know, I try to put it in, but I'm down. I got my seatbelt buckled. I'm ready to do this for as many episodes as you got. 
So, episode number two then, I might as well tell people what it's going to be before it gets released. It gets released on Monday, the 1st of November, and it's titled The Trials and Tribulations of Randolph Turpin, the British boxer from the 1950s who famously went on to defeat Sugar Ray Robinson, and he has a story to tell. There's a story that needed to be told with Randy Turpin, and I'm very excited to be putting it back out there. There's a bit of controversy that we found when doing the research for it, and you'll hear that as part of the episode, and I'm going to be looking forward to discussing it with you once you've listened to it next week, Luke, because I think you know these are the types of stories we wanted. We wanted stories about certain individuals that, yeah, they could be 50, 60, 70 years old, but they've got tales to tell, and I think sometimes they're not always covered, and I think we, we, we've done our best to cover as many different varied tales for this season. So the next episode is all about Randolph Turpin, his story, his boxing career, his life outside of the ring, uh, and of course how it all ended for him. So very excited to be back on next week on on the after show. Uh, I hope people have enjoyed listening to us, just shooting the breeze about Johnny Tapia. And obviously, if anybody's got comments to make on it, you know, please do drop them in. Drop them in your YouTube comments. Tell people what. What you think about Johnny Tapia, who he was, what what his legacy is left, whether you've got any comments about him, definitely drop the comments. Open for debate about it. I could talk about Johnny Tapia all day. Well, it's definitely been fun, and I like having to look back and honor our legends because boxing is definitely a what-have-you-done-lately sport, and it's also a sport where we don't really honor those who came before us, so it's pretty cool to to bring awareness to such a fighter like Tapia. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Luke, thank you for facilitating this this after show. Uh, Hope everybody's enjoyed it. Thanks so much for listening to both of us. Um, Where can they find you, of course? Anyone that needs to find uh, any listeners of ours that want to find you and and check out your YouTube channel and what you do? At Lukey Boxing on Twitter, ITR Boxing on YouTube. But I mean, just stalk me. Just like, just try to figure it out. Like, if you like, honestly, if you're interested in me, just go through the means, figure out where I am, and just see if I look like something that you want to follow. <laughs> Pleasure as always, Luke. Thanks so much for having me on. Right on. Podcast Network.